welcome to the City Speaking Podcast. The city speaks, you try to follow obedient, even the ones that don't swallow. Crossing bridges, connecting the dots, typhoons. Welcome everybody to the City Speaking Podcast. My guest this week is prominent social worker and activist Jeffrey Andrews. Um, but before I talk about this week's episode, I'd like to just say, well, <laughs> what an interesting few uh, few days it's been. Um, indeed, in fact, you know what a year it's been, right? Uh, we've had Brexit, we've had just had the U.S. elections, the refugee crisis in the Middle East, the impact it's had on Western Europe, uh, China's interpretation of Hong Kong's basic law, and how that impacts democracy, perhaps not just in Hong Kong, but you know, the greater China region, climate change. Yeah, from from what I've observed, I would have to say that tribalism seems to have created uh, greater rifts between friends, family, and entire communities, possibly now more than ever in my lifetime that I can recall, which, you know, isn't very long, to be fair. Um, you know, and I don't particularly think that the media uh, has been very helpful either. Um, at least based on the news that I consume, and I'm a bit of a news junkie. Um, frankly, you know, a lot of it also hasn't been quite accurate, as we, um, as anyone that's fo- that's followed the U.S. elections will tell you in regards to the the polls and and whatnot. Uh, where we're hearing opinions, we're hearing standard talking points and safe narratives, or or junk, meaningless content, a bunch of talking heads that you know after you've 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 heard what they've had to say you're leaving perhaps more lost than before um the world's been a very distracted and indeed distracting place in many ways <clears throat> you know i i don't intend to go deep into all of these subjects but just let me let me bring this back to the podcast and why i started doing this you know, my goal has always been to invite people with interesting life experiences and have meaningful dialogue that is honest and truthful about their work, about their lives, about their values, and, and yes, about their cultural experiences, whether it's politically correct or not. As horrendous as some of the language has been recently, and as polarizing as the different sides to all the various arguments can be the world needs a long game and and wherever you stand uh, literally and figuratively i guess wherever wherever you live in the world and wherever you live in the world and whatever causes you feel are important i hope that you open your heart and your ears to listen to make an attempt to understand why all these bubbles have existed and educate each other on the facts. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to be wrong. And it's okay to be right and provide facts as to why. Yes, there will always be fringe extremists in any arena. And, and, and you, you can even say that there's, there's consolidated power uh, which a few people have in large institutions that are dictating policies that discriminate many and benefit the few. But there are the vast majority that live amongst you that don't have that power but may subscribe to those beliefs that need to be heard um, before progress can be made. And, 
you know, echo chambering and, and not listening and not attempting to have conversations that allow people to air grievances is unhelpful. You know, seemingly conflicting values can exist in an individual. And it's important to listen and look at each of us as individuals. So what do we have? Well, whether we like it or not, we all still have each other. There is still a lot of road ahead. Uh, there are still facts to be discovered. There's still the beauty of the human spirit to be celebrated. And there's still genuine progress to be made. And we can all hope um, and do our part and be on the right side of history. Not just because history will judge us, but because if we do not listen and speak, we will be forever remembered as the people that allowed things to happen without attempting to be logical and reasonable. If you have been saddened by the fact that there are many people that have dealt with bigotry or discrimination recently, in whatever form, whether they feel that you know it's their government's shitty policies that have stacked the odds against them, or groups of individuals with ideologies that oppose theirs, and they feel marginalized or hurt, or it's affecting their bottom line, uh, now, perhaps more than ever, none of us can give up on the commitment to open dialogue, healthy discourse, and, and an understanding that a good, hard look at ourselves is just as important as a good, hard look at those we disagree with. Okay, now that's uh, out of the way. Back to this week's guest, Jeffrey Andrews. Jeff is a social worker, um, and he works with the asylum-seeking community and uh, the refugee community in Hong Kong. I guess we often read in the headlines about Germany or France or the U.S. or Canada or even Australia when it comes to refugees and asylum seekers, but Hong Kong is a player in that particular field as well. And with all the talk and concerns surrounding nationalism and multiculturalism and the refugee crisis, I realized you know, how ignorant I was to the experiences of those attempting to flee their homelands. And it's not just the Middle East. Um, you know, Jeff was kind enough to have me in his office in Chunking Mansions, the infamous CKM. And, uh, you know, he helped talk me through what that process was like um, for asylum seekers and refugees in Hong Kong. We also talked a bit about the legacy and history of refugees in Hong Kong and how things have improved but can be done better. Um, which include things like how do we properly vet people? Um, how do we handle those that are abusing the system? How do we not waste resources when we clearly have the information we need to help people resettle and integrate? Um, we also get into his experiences being of Indian descent in Hong Kong and how that you know, part of his own culture uh, impacted his journey through education. We talk about racism, we talk about identity, and we talk about change, which includes his involvement in the Umbrella Movement, which, for those of you that will remember, swept international headlines in 2014. I want to thank Jeff again, though, uh, for his time, and also for being a real good sport, because he was actually fighting a cold, 
uh, when I interviewed him, but he still kept on going. Jeff, thank you very much. Friends around the world, I give you Jeffrey Andrews. This city speaks, you try to follow obedient, even the ones You know, I, I think it's very easy to paint a very broad brush yep. for that entire population, the entire asylum seeking population. Yeah. But what I kind of like to do is, can we sort of get into a little bit about what, what your experience has been like um, with this particular population? And then maybe we can talk a bit about more about what it's like in Hong Kong, I guess. Right, you know. So uh, I think for me, I mean, it's it's it's. I think growing up in Hong Kong, for me, refugees were just like every local, like you and me. It's the Vietnamese refugees, and believe it or not, I used to live in Kowloon Bay, which is right next to a refugee camp. So you know, me and my dad would be going down to the park, and you'll see a fence, and there'll be kids playing on the other side. So that was what you grew up with, and suddenly, two thousand. Nine, I found a job in Chunky Mansions doing refugee work, and it's a completely different world. They're out; they can be free to walk, just like you and me. So sometimes you just don't know who's a refugee until they actually come in there and take out their immigration paper, and they go. But before we get in, into yeah. into that, can we talk about the Vietnamese refugees? Because yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't either don't know about it or know very little about it. Yeah, and even me, like living here as a kid. You remember hearing like on the radio, right. the you know the Bucknow Donai, whatever yeah, the, yeah, the recording exactly. was, and that was the reference point for the majority of Hong Kong people as to what refugees were, right. which is obviously not a full picture. Uh, can you share a little bit more about that? I mean, um, for me, it was it was just close to home. It was like it's right there. You could see it, you know, over your window. I used to live in Telford Gardens, and right opposite was the refugee camps, uh, and they had this uniqueness in it. It looked like an army barracks, and and that's where they were, and. I remember watching the news, and 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 you'll see boatloads of people coming, boatloads like cramped boatloads of Vietnamese coming in, and it never occurred to me that these people were fleeing from problems. I just thought they were poor and they just wanted to make money. Um, and what hit me was 1997, just when the British were leaving. You, I would remember seeing in the news that these guys were being forced onto the planes, you know, repatriated back home, and and you had like seven to ten officers pulling one guy because he just wouldn't want to leave. And it hit me. I just remember that memory very, very well. Um, and then I studied a bit more as I grew older because I always asked my dad, why are they, why are they forcing him to leave? Uh, and then I, I Googled and I saw what was happening in Vietnam after the war and, and, and you know, how communist Vietnam was, was really harsh on these guys. Uh, little did I know that I'm going to be one day doing refugee work for a different population. But, but yeah, the Vietnamese, it stuck to me because it was right there. Um, and actually, a few years ago, um, my friend was actually burgled while, while he was hiking. And it was two Vietnamese young guys that stabbed him. Um, it, it wasn't fatal, thankfully. And my friend forgave them and just kind of dropped the case. So it just hit me like, wow, these guys are still around. And, you know, policies have affected who they are today and, and, and their status. So, so just that incident was quite recent? Like they get your This is about five to eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Five to eight years ago, yeah, and, and it hit me. I was like, "Wow, there, there's still the population. There's still some remnants of the Vietnamese refugees allowed to live into Hong Kong." So, yeah, it, it, I'll never forget those images and until today. What you're seeing now with the with the boatloads of people going into Europe—that was Hong Kong thirty years ago. So, I mean, some people go, "Oh, we don't have refugees," but people, I think in Hong Kong, people's memories are very short. You know, I still remember. How come? I'm not like local Han Chinese, like you said, but people now go, oh, Vietnamese? No, but I don't remember these things. 
So the population you work with now, yep. um, obviously there are no specific boatloads of people coming over, but they come over, can we talk about how they get here and then what happens, what's here, if there's anything here for them, sure. and then how do they get, I guess, quote unquote, processed? Right. Um, interesting. I mean, now you see with the economy booming, the world's just developing. It's now they're traveling by planes. They're just hopping on a flight and coming into Hong Kong or going into China because of visa-free access. So people go, why don't they just go straight to Europe or, or, or America since they're in, you know, they're from nearby and, and, you know, isn't that where they want to go to eventually? Uh, but issue is when you're going to America or, or Canada, wherever, you need to apply for a visa. You need to show them your bank statements and all sorts. They don't have time when you're fleeing from war and religious persecution and ethnic cleansing. So what they do is they get a flight ticket and they see where their passports allow them to go to and they go into Hong Kong. Or they go to China where they get a bit more freaked out. Uh oh, you know, it's not the best place to seek asylum. Why not go to next door Hong Kong where it's an international city, rule of law, human rights, um, people speak English and you get a bit of welfare. So we have people fleeing from religious ethnic cleansing, you know, people who are LGBT, who are prohibited from being who they are. We have people because of, you know, political reasons. So it's a very interesting bunch. And all those who fit the criteria of being a refugee under the UNHCR are coming into Hong Kong. Yeah, so, so when they get here, how are they dealt with at the border? So there's only three ways you can come into Hong Kong. One is through air, one is through boat, and one is if you come in illegally into Hong Kong by boat and then you don't claim yourselves. You just wait till you get in the city. So whichever way you are going to face the authorities, one way or the other. And if you're a single person, you get detained in a detention facility in Tun Mun. If you are a family with children, you get released on a recognizance paper, and then you are supposed to follow... Um, regulations like you go and report to the welfare department for food and for housing, and then you report to the immigration to to hand to sort to start your case. So, yeah. So there and then, it's a it's a very you know it's a gradual process where everyone will eventually need to face the authorities and claim the asylum. They get the welfare, but that what is that system like here? Though I mean, it's. Hong Kong can be quite bureaucratic, so yeah. I'm just wondering how much rigmarole is there to go through, and uh, what's the process of getting them, getting their cases sorted out, and then it's getting harder and harder. Before you would just come in, and then you go straight to the social welfare department, and then they'll just hand you over to a department called ISS, and then right there, and then you sign a contract. Your landlord is given one thousand five hundred dollars, and then you get food bags. Now it's getting harder. It's like two-month waiting process, three-month waiting process before you actually get this assistance. So yes, it is getting more bureaucratic, but that's also because there's a huge population increase of asylum seekers. We had 4,000 in 2009, roughly. Now you've got 11,000 or close to 12. So we have around somewhere between 11,000 and 12,000 asylum, asylum seekers. seekers. Right. And that's the thing is they're not technically refugees because Hong Kong does not can we, can we talk a bit about that as well? Hong Kong doesn't take any refugees. Hong Kong has no... They haven't signed a refugee convention. But here's the thing. They have now a new system called the USM, Unified Screening Mechanism. So what happens is they will check your case. As soon as you arrive, you're called an asylum seeker. And if you fit the criteria, then you become a refugee. And then you're issued a refugee paper. 
and then they want nothing to do with you. They will hand you back to the UN and say, look, we've assessed him. He's genuine. Now you try and get him out of here into the US or Canada or whatnot. So there's kind of different criteria. And there's another one called the torture claim, which is if you're tortured and not really under a refugee claim, like there's physical danger to you. For those guys, if you get substantiated, if the government says, hey, actually, you're a genuine case, you know what? You're true. You're a genuine guy. We'll keep you in the side and we'll wait till your country gets better and then you go back. So these guys will never be handed back to the UN because they're not under this criteria. They don't cover it. So it's really... So what would, what would a scenario like that be? So let's say... I've got so a let's couple say, guys like that. Okay, yeah. so let's say... What would it be like? So let's say I'm from a particular country. Right. That I am in physical danger. Who who needs to be causing me the physical danger? It could be a government official. It could be anyone from the government, or someone with, with maybe links to the government, or, or or some kind of entity. But it typically is related to the authorities that are causing the. That yeah. Are, so because that's the thing. Because if it was someone that was breaking the law, so if, let's say it was gang related, the authorities should there in that country People should be able to sort it out. Exactly. But because it's the people that they're supposed to trust that is causing them harm that's when they have to leave right so then they go into that criteria of a torture claimant and the messy situation is they will never be resettled they're just there in limbo waiting for god knows one day so so they just have to wait until their country gets quote unquote better yeah i've seen those and i'll I, i don't have them with me now but i can I'll show you a few examples. And you can't disclose names anyway. No. But but you can definitely, we can definitely oh, yeah. talk about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you can meet madness. some of these guys, even better. Sure. Sure, sure. And these guys are in limbo. So when, how are you ever going to tell a country in Africa is going to be good one day and, and the next day? You know how dictatorships work. You know how unstable a place like Africa. It's not Japan. It's not, you know, so, yeah, it's a bit, it's, it's sad. It makes you wake up and think, shoot. Thank God I'm not in that position, but you feel for the person. Getting back to what happens to them when they when they get here, they get here. Yeah. So we have a te- eleven to twelve thousand uh, asylum seekers yeah. or torture claimants or, yeah. or or even those with refugee status that are waiting to be. Yeah. So with refugee status right now, as far as I can tell, you got about maybe less than two hundred that have been substantiated, and yes, they're genuine. Out of about eleven thousand. Exactly. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, all these 12,000 folks can get the uh, government assistance. So that's the issue. So if you're a refugee and, for example, hey, you're genuine, you still get the same amount of person that comes in yesterday or coming in today. So that kind of doesn't make sense, you know, because a genuine refugee definitely deserves a bit more assistance than a person that just comes in to file asylum. Well, I'd, I'd like to unpack this idea of assistance because I do hear, um, whether it's in Hong Kong or even other countries, Australia Correct. or whatever, there's an issue of, you know, well, listen, these people are coming in yeah. and they are uh, using our resources and they're, you know, it's public funding. We pay taxes for this. Do we, should we allow? And you, sure, you can have a discussion about that, what, about policy and everything. Of, of course you can. Of course it's important. Yeah. Um but I know in Hong Kong, one of the big issues is they're not allowed to work. That's right. So even if they wanted to contribute and give back, they're actually not allowed to. Absolutely right. But they're. Am I? Is this? This, this is, is correct. Okay. Because, yeah. and can we talk about that frustration? I guess. Like what frustration, that, yeah. I can tell you, is that it's painful because you've seen guys who 
just cannot keep coming to an NGO and begging, literally begging, and, and they, they're tired of that. So they end up working an honest job like painting or renovation, and they get arrested and they're put in for 18 months. And I could quote many cases where I've visited a few clients and they say, my cellmate gets four to five months for selling drugs. So what are most fake claimants doing is they end up coming to Hong Kong, working illegally and selling drugs because they know they'll get a shorter time, they'll make big money, and then they're not here to, to, to you know, get their refugee status because they know they're never going to get it. So you have a lot of frustration going on, and that's where the crime rates are apparently going up because there are fake claimants coming in and doing all the illegal work, the, the crime, going into the triads and, and stuff. Can we talk about that fake? Because this is also a, a sort of yeah. part of this yeah. part of this issue is yeah. that they're using our resources, and some of them aren't even real anyway. They they just want they just want a better life economic and migrants listen yeah. this is they're, they're migrants they should they should apply for work like anyone else yeah. and do it yeah. you know uh, can we talk about that the reality of that and how much of it is true from your experience how much of it is untrue what can we do about it uh, and so on and so forth well just like a coin there's both sides to it in any any part of the world and I think yes there are there's a huge abuse going on in the system I've seen it. I've heard people come up and say, hey, I'd like assistance because um, I want to claim asylum. I'm like, okay, what's your problem? And they say, oh, I've uh, borrowed money from this loan shark and I can't pay back and he's after me. So I just took a flight and I came here and I go, no, that's abusing the system. But I also blame the Hong Kong government for making it so easy for anyone to claim asylum. Like, for example, you have a friend that comes from Europe to visit you and he says, "Um, I don't want to go back. I like it. I quite like it here. He can actually go and claim asylum. This was before recently. I mean, so anyone can just come in and claim asylum, get the immigration paper, go to ISS and get the rental assistance and the food and just wait till it takes maybe one, two, three years before you're actually processed. So they know. And people hear the news. They're like, okay, Hong Kong government's taking a while. Let's abuse the system. So who's to blame? I think it's all, all parties. And I think all stakeholders should have a responsibility in, in having dialogue. And we're trying our best to have dialogue with the government to say, look, the system needs to improve or it's going to it's going to explode. I guess let's get right into that then. So what yeah. needs to improve then? What remedies do, can you think of? My personal view sure. is that you need to get in international experts. People who are doing this already in Canada, in the US, in Europe, who are already having refugee populations from decades what the Hong Kong government's stubbornness is that it's, we, we can handle it, we'll do it, we don't need any help. And they don't put enough resources into it. Yes, it takes a lot of resources, but if you put more resources into it now, it's going to help in the long term. So we're still trying to engage in dialogue with the security bureau, but you know, it's slow. So you're talking about consulting to get, know, understand their successes. But to get them to come down and train our officers and to be part of the assessment, therefore, we're moving on cases quicker, we're helping people who really genuinely need the assistance, it'll just improve the system. So is this basically like shortening the, so you're talking about shortening the, the cycle? It's shortening the cycle, improving the quality, and when you do all that, people will be deterred to say, hey, look, it's taking me three weeks. To, to get my claim in or whatever, three months, people may think twice, okay, look, I'm going to get rejected in three months and I'll be kicked out, I'll be blacklisted. 
maybe people won't come down and people who really genuinely need to seek asylum will come down and say look i know it's going to be a fair system i'll be protected and i'll be moved on let's say okay let, so let, let's run a few scenarios let's yeah. say i'm i'm the ab abusive yep. uh, person so I, i'm coming in yeah. i'm from somewhere in europe and i'm like you know what i got nothing to do i want to stay here yeah what was and, I, and I come one. to you that's a and good I say, scenario and i say hey man i would like to seek a Asylum. asylum yeah that's it asylum yeah so right there and then the international expert before you even put in a would put in a claim will say what's your story what's your background uh no sorry deport H how would they be able to quickly assess that though i mean because so, you have to hear i mean they'll look at the country of origin um they'll hear your story if you have any evidence and proofs i think if you're an international expert with experience you'll be able to tell Okay, you probably wouldn't take more than a month, more than two weeks to assess this person. Uh, it shouldn't take two years. It shouldn't take, you know, one person taking two, three years in the system. It's it's a mockery of it. So I think if you're, like you just said, the person gets the facts done, you know, does the investigation and tells you within two months, hey, by the way, we've done a thorough check. There's nothing about this, so I'm sorry, you know, you're out. Uh, and I think it will really deter a lot of people coming in here and abusing it. Mm. Um, let's talk about, and so we've just talked about this, the side yeah, of it where yeah. it's like obviously bull, yeah. right? Then we've got the side where it's like obviously it's real. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the key things to look at for the people there when you see them? You know, I think for the real cases, I think people who generally leave their country, there's proof. There is always some documentation. There is some kind of evidence to say, look, I fled you know, I generally want to seek asylum. It's not that I'm coming here to get assistance. So I think, in general, most of the asylum seekers that I've seen in this center, they're ready with their cases. They're doing their due diligence. They are researching. They are providing their lawyers with the documentations and not just letting the lawyer take over the whole case. So I think people that I've seen here who are really seeking asylum, they're ready and they want you know justice for their case so you're looking at how proactive they are but also just but as the caseworker though yeah you hear what they say yeah they provide you with documentation absolutely so it's a confluence of all this data really absolutely informs you Is and also seeking legal advice from other experts human rights lawyers to say hey maybe this guy's uneducated maybe he can't express himself maybe he's actually a genuine claim so they will do the due diligence and check actually this guy might have a case and, and if you know a good lawyer like you know for example Mark Daly is going to take up a case you know it's worth it and you know he's he's got a chance so so it's really about all stakeholders you know working together instead of working individually and for those that are where it's ambiguous like you do you yeah okay no worries um uh, where we're at. Sorry, I'm talking about ambiguous, um, ambiguous case. Well, I guess I guess we just kind of covered that really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just about yeah. figuring it out. Exactly. So, and really, it's, it's about calling out for help. You know, Hong Kong government. It doesn't need to be. You know, it's it's not going to be bad if you ask for international help. You know, you, you want to control the situation here, but it's really it's about Hong Kong saying we will we'll handle it, we'll sort it out. So I think that that attitude needs to change. Okay, so they get here, they go to immigration, yeah. they get their documentation, 
then eventually they get assessed and they get and they also in the meantime they can apply for the subsidies and the funding Correct. is this subsidy reasonable because they can't work either so here's where i i sometimes struggle with it's okay um are they taking away resources from a local person are they um and you compare it with other countries like singapore thailand malaysia yes we always complain about hong kong government we do you know it's oh, it's never enough but in asia it's quite a it's quite a great example and in hong kong with the very expensive city it is it's never enough a thousand five hundred hong kong dollars to find a place to stay that's 200 us dollars that's correct to put it in perspective yes it's hard so i think overall the government needs to sort out the housing crisis for just not just for the refugees for the local people most importantly uh and that's kind of keyed into all of the, the the problems that we're having right now but so so really it's, so what we're saying is it's not enough money because 200 bucks is not enough for rent and for food food, food is a separate subsidy separate, but yeah so what's that like so they get they get thousand two hundred dollars in a, a, a coupon for a department uh, supermarket uh, every month every month but it's they're specifically just for supermarkets just for one welcome supermarket but that means that they're at the mercy of the welcome exactly. so they can't so even if they want to get fresher cheaper at the local exactly. market they can't they so they can't even contribute back to the local small business economy no. they have to support the large business chain exactly. so that's another part of i can understand why they say coupons is easier yeah um because they just buy it i understand why that's simpler but i do also think that that's another thing that people and i also think what would be now that i'm just riffing right here now yeah, I yeah, yeah, but no. this idea that if they go to help if they go purchase at local wet markets wouldn't that further integrate them as well into the exactly. local community like exactly. isn't that and a it's good part the local of, economy the yeah. grassroots economy no so you know maybe they get more value for their food maybe they build a relationship with someone and you know that's so important for them to actually integrate not go into welcome where they just you know you're 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 just another assembly a part of the assembly line so yeah that that sucks and who are we helping welcome what, you know it just doesn't sound right to me and it was park and shop for a period of time and then you start thinking oh lee kashing government ties and you just think what's with that they they can't really go shopping nope. They can't really go to work legally. They can't really do much else other than advocate for themselves and work with those that are advocating for them. Correct. Uh, and some of them have children. Yes. So how does it, where does the integration come into play? Let's go with just the adults first, and then we can talk about the kids. In terms yes. of the adults, truly it's very difficult unless they join programs through our organizations like playing football outside with local teams maybe going on an outdoor event but really it's just very they're just in this little bubble whereas the kids i'd say a little bit better uh they go to school local schools but then they also end up becoming like me like an ethnic minority in an ethnic minority school so they're only integrating amongst their own kind of people instead of really going into local schools. so uh, it's just another thing but again remarkably a lot of our kids are showing great you know progress and they're learning cantonese and uh, today i see many kids six months ago don't didn't speak a word of english now speaking to me in both languages so i think the kids don't you know they just keep going in a previous episode of, of the podcast i was talking with someone and she was talking about how when you're a child you don't really question too much yeah. about you just things just are the way they are yes and it, yes. it is and you just go with it yeah. um 
and that's why they're so wonderful and so resilient and why resilient is the word you know yeah. and, you know and that's what's beautiful about them but yeah. um and then the wake up moment comes when you're hitting 16 or oh, 17 mm-hmm. 18 when everyone's ready to you know progress and look at their university options or job options that's when our kids go oh wait i don't i don't get to do this so can we let's talk about that because yeah. The children of asylum seekers are also seeking asylum, obviously. Yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're a unit. They're, they're, they're a that's unit. Right, that's correct. So they're allowed to go to public school. Correct. Because Hong Kong has a free public school for, was it 13 years? Is that right? That's correct. Is it for, or something like that? Uh, 15 years? 15 years. 15 something years. Maybe, like, yeah, 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 that's what I was trying to say. I did say 15, didn't I? I hope I did. So, but that, that's extended to all children. Yes. All right, so that's a great thing. That, that's That is happening. That's right. But what happens beyond the 15 years? So then? beyond the 15, I've seen a lot of kids just kind of had to stop. And that's Literally, they're just like, sorry, we can't. Yep. You're not legally entitled to this, therefore. Yep. Yep. So I had a girl that was just two years doing nothing until we just got her into some p- small programs. But that's, uh, that's sad. It's just sad when you're like, why? Or, you know, when your peers are asking you, hey, why aren't you going into school like us? And it's hard for her to say, hey, by the way, I'm a refugee. I'm, I'm different. And I can't. Unless someone funds you privately, but really, how many people can fund a hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, uh, school year, you know, for you? So, uh, so yep, it's that's when reality hits. Seventeen, a lot of these kids who I have, uh, they they're supposed to play for their school team, even represent the city, but they were told, "Sorry, you can't travel." I've got many kids who have been invited to a tournament in Beijing. They can't. They can't even travel out of the city. So, yep. jeez. Yep. So it just hits you. It just hits you, and you're very remarkable. These young kids who want to contribute to society, they can't because they are refugees. They they can actually contribute to the Hong Kong sports scene, which we're craving for diversity and we're craving for excellence. And these guys bring that. They actually lift up the sports scene. You know, I've got kids who broke the school. Sports record, racing records, and 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 what it's done is also made local counterparts want to raise their game. Uh, you know, when I was going to school, I hardly had an African gentleman who you would see run a marathon. Right. Now you see kids seeing that. Hey, I want to do that, and it just Hong Kong government should see and utilize that and say, hey, wow, we should. Um, you know, as I said, incredible sportsmen. Some of these guys they're doing marathons at the age of twenty. Somali guys and Eritreans. But Hong Kong should actually take them. Why are we looking at just mainland China to represent our table tennis and badminton? Why, why can't it be anything else? From a PR perspective, like how great would that be, right? Like, look at us. We are truly Asia's, Asia's world, world city, city. <laughs> which is what we always call ourselves. Exactly. Your Hong Kong is Asia's world city. And yet this is an area where they just, they, they're not quite living up to that exactly. name. Exactly. Because exactly. um, it's a great opportunity. It really would be, right? Wouldn't it be? You help these people integrate, then yeah. you allow them to, uh, especially for those that have been here for more than seven years. Yeah. Like, feel like uh, how many have been here for more than seven years? Oh, I've got loads, about more than, more than two, three hundred. I can't even... I, I, so in yeah. the hundreds, out of a... Po- so we're talking about... And out of those, those hundreds, there are people that would be great at contributing, contributing in some way. Absolutely, absolutely. Like almost immediately. And so instead of having a program that allows them to, or, allow, or just letting them work, they can't. Exactly. Contributing in every part that the Hong Kong government is trying to promote. Sports, arts, music, 
you know, uh, you name it, they, they, they can do that. They can. Well, we talk about culture and stuff, right? I mean, like th- this idea of, of what is, you know, culture, yeah. this sort of very quaint idea, yeah. this sort of idea of, oh, culture, let's do culture. Share, culture. This, is, this is, you have people of other cultures that are able to share. Yeah. Why don't we empower them to do so? Exactly. And then really make it a more international. Going into schools, going into the grassroots. Yeah. You know, that's what we're craving for. Hong Kong, we are so. Local kids don't know who the person next to, don't know what's happening outside of the world. Mm. And here you have you just not a click away. It's not even going to that country and doing a school trip. It's right there and there. Can we talk about uh, just the, the, the student things kind of yeah. got me a little bit. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I also work with, with with kids, right? I work with, uh, you know, for d- doing drama pr- right, predominantly. Exactly. To local um, kids. Uh, all yeah. local schools. We're yeah, local, local schools, school. right? So... It's just, it would just, like, it would break my heart now that I think about, you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds that would suddenly not be allowed to continue to be in my drama program yeah. simply because of their country's, uh, the country of origin. Right. And not even their fault. They're here because their parents or their family were persecuted right. for some reason. And that's exactly. why it's just a really kind of when you say it like that it hits me again it just yeah you're right Right. it's It's the circumstances of my father's issue or whatever you're right so uh local school let's go with the local school thing local school you you're from here Mm -hmm. from hong kong Mm -hmm. uh parents are indian yep um but you were born here is that right born here my grandpa was here in the 60s okay so you could say third generation so this is home for me, really. It doesn't, you know, it just feels right. Obviously, when I was younger, I had an identity crisis going on because you were just, wh- who am I? Where am I? You know, but I think as I grew up and I started to mature, I know this is my city and, I, and I'm going to fight for every right for it, you know. Can we talk about the identity crisis thing? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I really want to um, just talk about that. Man, man I mean... Like, what was home like? Like, what was school life like for you? I don't know how come I haven't been even more frustrated than I am. I mean, I, I look at it now, I'm laughing at it. But as a kid, you just, you get frustrated. You should have been frustrated. You know, you grew up in a local school which was segregated. So you grew up in a school where you have different floors for different ethnicities. So you're Indian, Pakistani, Nepalese. You study in one floor. If you're Chinese, you study on the upper floors. And you just don't crisscross Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying the school itself was segregated. segregated. So it... Upper floors were locals. Lower floors were for the ethnic minorities. It was just like... A part of it is also that the level is... that Their level of English is the same or their level of knowledge is the same. And therefore, they're grouped together that way. It just so happens that they're all brown. So here... Or is, or is it more than that? And let's go into that. So here's the issue. Um... Ethnic minorities like myself weren't taught Cantonese. Local Chinese, their English standards were so appalling that we were just separated. So government policies were were just ridiculous. They should have... I, I don't know how a government could get away with stuff like that, really. it's Today, you just ask me. It's You have an ethnic minority who's born and raised in Hong Kong, who only knows Hong Kong, and yet you don't teach the language to them. Okay, And then there's the local Chinese who are studying in Hong Kong, but their English you taught to them were really very basic and, and just did not put any emphasis on, hey, you're an international city, two official languages. And both of us lost out. 
Instead, we should have been together studying because since ethnic minorities, English standards are slightly higher or even if much higher than the local Chinese, we could have, you know, in, in Cantonese, we say, right? You help each other. Mutual, like help each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't do that. So I always thought society was always divided. It's like we got the locals and then we got the non-Chinese. You know, we never ventured up to that floor. It was like no man's land. And they wouldn't, if they came down, they would get a beating or, you know. So it was just like, wh- what was going on? So I was lucky because I played for the f- school football team. And we got to meet these folks. We got to play with them. We had to pass the ball to them because you didn't want to lose. And after football sessions, you would go to McDonald's together. And you're like, hey, you eat a burger too? I eat a... Oh, we're hu- you're human? Uh, you know, that's the kind of... Like, you just think, what is wrong? As, as children, right? I mean, you're yeah. really young. That you're, this is what, pr- primary Secondary, school? Secondary, just into high, high school. So, so like 11, year 12, eight. 13. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's 11, the 12, 13. Eight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just baffled me. And and I just thought, this is just the norm, Jeff. Just the norm. Don't worry. Everyone's going through it. Look, your Pakistani friend's also sitting next to you. He's going to go through it. But... It didn't hit me. It's going to affect me later in life. Like, you know, we don't have good prospects of university. We are not seen as locals. Uh, I was lucky I picked up my Cantonese because of being discriminated in the streets, in the football pitch. I didn't want people to laugh. I wanted to know what they were laughing about and what they were calling me. And that's why I forced myself to learn. If not, I have a friend who studied with me all throughout from kindergarten to high school. And he doesn't know a word of Cantonese. And he just escaped to Singapore two years ago. He said, I'm done. I, I can't live in the city. I don't speak the language. My qualifications just can't get me a good job here. I'm done. Uh, and I go, shoot, what, a, what what have we wasted? You know? Um, so I'm just lucky. I picked it up because I was forced to. Well, I mean, you weren't lucky. You you were self-aware enough, right, to yeah. make the decision that I, you know, you wanted to connect enough, right? right. And you or strong to, enough, really. And you wanted to really yeah. prop yourself up and put yourself in a position Absolutely. where you wouldn't... But actually, I, I want to jump to something because you yeah. mentioned discrimination. Like yeah. what? Um, discrimination takes many different shapes and forms, yep. and it often really depends on the context and True. who. Well said. And your and your um, your background. I mean, and, and if you don't want to get into this, we don't have to. But mm-hmm. what kind of stuff? What kind of stuff did you? And I don't need to necessarily hear specific things that were said, but sure. like, what, what kind of situations uh, were they go like? Go into it. No worries for me. But, you know, because yeah. um, it, it still impacts me till today. Um, because I love football so much. And for me, first thing after school is put down my bags. Don't even talk to your mom. Just rush straight to the football pitch, which was in Wampo Fayyid, which is still happening there. And all you crave for is today, please, God, let these guys just let me play. Let me just chum my all, you know, please. Let me, so join, th- let me join. Let me join. Let me join. Just at uh, some days you would just stand in the side, and you'd be the last person they'll pick. Or some days when they even have just no players, they'll go. They'll reluctantly ask me, "You want to play?" So, and then when they do, is they say all sorts of nasty stuff like a cha, black shit, and charcoal, and, and really, you go, yeah, in, yeah, in Cantonese, in Cantonese, and you go, wow. Um, until the point when you go play football, and they say, "Oh, this guy's pretty good," and then it changes. They call you a, an African player's name instead of, you know, that. So, and <laughs> Which is a whole other form. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yes. Just, uh, anyway. And the funniest thing was in 2002, uh, 2002 World Cup, when Senegal was like the surprise package of the, of the World Cup, 
it was like the big talk and they wouldn't call me by my African name anymore. They'll call me Cholo Gai, which was Senegal. Uh, <laughs> they just called you Senegal. Senegal. That was Yo, Senegal's here to play. Yeah, You're like, oh, you gotta be kidding. But, you know, I'll take that over charcoal. I'll, that's, a, that's an improvement. So for me, I thought racism was ignorance, really. It's these guys don't know. And then I play in a football pitch in Kowloon Park. The old man that played with me 25 years ago is still playing there today. And those guys, they have a senior guys. These are like guys like they own the pitch. You would say they're unofficially owning the pitch. Sure, sure, sure. And they still go there. And those guys have learned 25 years ago when they first discriminated us. And we really lashed down at them. Until today, they recall us with respect. And when anyone else discriminates us, they go, hey, don't call them, you know, a chao. Call them a sing or call them panyao or ali, you know. And you just hits you because those guys you know were the ones that discriminated you today I still go to that pitch and they'll go what you know Ali Lejo they, they don't realize I'm not Muslim but they'll call me Ali which is fine you know there's it's a sense of, of respect so it hit me hard that these kids there's just ignorance and it's sad because I'm lucky I was strong enough I wanted to play football I don't care you're gonna laugh at me today I want to still play but many of my friends decided I'm done I'm gonna go or they had another version of it fight beat just beat the living daylights out of the guy that calls you a child. I, I did that for a couple of times. And I realized that's, that's not cool. You get in trouble. and um, But it hurts you when they, they call your mother or, you know, like this and that, black. And you go, come on, guys. Um, but, but today I'm, I'm doing the opposite. I'm, I'm, I'm educating. I'm going into schools and telling them, it hurts, guys. Don't do that. And it's working a bit. So it sounds like there are multiple remedies for this. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the barrier to entry really is your social life yeah. outside of outside of your own little bubble. Absolutely. And it's also that that lang those languages are your ticket to the entire city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, Simple and, and if you think about it, it's almost cruel to not teach you know what i mean yes. like just to not even allow them it is cruel you know and also but also it's also you're not letting the local i say local as you're letting the I, yeah let's say use the word local that's a word we use you're letting the local students also yeah. understand more i mean yeah. this is if we're going to call ourselves international yeah it's a loss it's a huge loss for the whole generation really it's changing now but it's a loss so not all gloom and doom you mentioned there's it's changing now it's changing. what what's I mean, obviously, like you're these. I think it's so cool. You have the old, the old, uh, the old guys at the football pitch. Yeah, like, uh, till today. Hey, hey, hey! Yeah. Don't you, don't you, don't you? This is my, this yeah. is my pangyao. Yeah, or whatever exactly. They you call them pangyao, right? and I'm yeah, like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is friend in Cantonese. Yeah. For those of you that don't speak Cantonese, yes. but yeah, <laughs> and that's um, great. An old generation like that, who you think were stubborn and were would not change, can change. So I have so much hope for the young generation now. We're in a social media age. We are seeing more visible examples. Like you see, my friend who's a reporter in TVB was. You got Q Popo, who's an actor. You know, there's like ten officers, police officers of Nepalese, Indian, Pakistani, one Filipino descent. That's great, but it shouldn't have happened now. It should have happened ages ago. But we'll still take that. So those are the improvements. The government's doing more advertising where there's at least one ethnic minority in part of that <laughs> advertising. So. It's a step. It's progress, not perfection, right? Yep. How much of your own identity do you think we really own? Wow. You know, 
it's hard because people see me on the outside. They don't see me for the person that I'm in here. I'm brown. But that's how everyone's going to see everyone else that's right. for the first time. So that's, that's right. always the case. That's right. But that's sorry, right. I go on. No, no, no. That's a good, good point. You're right. You're right. And you're not. You don't have to be Chinese to be a Hong Konger, right? It's an ideal. It's a it's a value that we have. It's this food that we share. This location that you know. Hey, I'll meet you in the night market. You know, I'll meet you at Tai Pai Tong. You know, that's the that's the that's being a Hong Konger. The value, the history. The we'll both remember the handover. We'll both remember the good old days. We Absolutely. both remember what it's like now with with the influx of mainlanders because we've been through that journey. Even though you may have been distant for a few years, but you have that. You come back, that connection is back there. It's switched back on. You know, the Wi-Fi is back. You and me, we have that. So, yeah, that's being a Hong Konger. And, you know, now I think the local Chinese feel connected to me because I'm with them in the good old days. They remember me. Excuse me. No worries, no worries. So that's why they go, now... The last two years since the Umbrella Movement, I was Hong Kong and like a wall. You know why? He's a Hong Konger because I remember those old days. I studied the same ideals that they did. So, yeah, it's no longer a Han thing, and I think this generation is going to change that. They're going to look at more non-Chinese as Hong Kongers. There's no more like why Zhongguoyan. That used to be the after '97. Zhongguoyan, which is which is Chinese. Chinese. Which again, the Chinese in China, it's it's ethnic and nationalist. Right. So it's it becomes really sort of. So tight together. So tight, exactly. But we're slowly. We're coming out of that because we used to. After '97, there was this like, "Hey, we're we're Zhongguoyan, you know, we're all Zhongguoyan." But it's it's gradually changed now to this like, okay, we're well, let's not get political. I mean, now with all the independence talk and all that, I mean, I'm not going for you know for all that. But I'm like you. I feel for Hong Kong. I'm worried about Hong Kong, and we're worried about our ideals being taken away and our values and and you know, so I. I think we're now at this generation where we're going to be looking at each other for support, for going through that memory again and making sure you're going to fight for my ideals, I'm going to fight for yours, and we're going to protect this together. Yeah. You mentioned the umbrella movement, yeah. um, and I think that's where a lot of people started seeing you more in the public eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. So, do you mind if I ask you to just talk a bit about what the umbrella movement was, and then? How you were involved? So the umbrella movement started with, of course, a, you know, after the uh, white paper was released by China to say that look, nothing's going to be changed. We will still be electing your candidates, and uh, we will still be pre-selecting your candidates, and then you get to vote from them. And of course, students just did not agree to that, and they came out and protested at the university. And no government official came out to say, "Hey, let's have a dialogue." That didn't happen. And what happened instead was.、Um, People said, "Let's take it out on the streets. Let's go out to the government headquarters and and ask for an answer." And unfortunately, eventually, it turned out into a full-scale movement. Now, in most scenarios, you would say, "Look, this is not really our problem per se, because it's you know Hong Kong is still seen as a local Chinese and their their voice." But my friend, who you know went on the day of these. Uh, of the riot or the、um, the violence that was happening, and you mean the, the tear gas, the, the tear, tear gas, gas the、yeah. pepper spray. A Pakistani friend of mine who used to be really causing all sorts of problems,、uh, you know,、uh, used to be a mischief really. 
And he called me and said, what the hell are you doing at home? And I go, I'm not going to get involved. This is really, this might not be us, man. This is really... Then he just woke, my, woke me up and said, what do you mean it's not us? He said, it's, it's going to affect us. It's going to affect your children. It's going, and I'm like, he said, if democracy is taken away from, from me or from your, your Chinese friend, it's, it's going to be taken away from you. And I go, actually, you're right. We should. And um, then we rallied a group of ethnic minorities, like-minded individuals, which was very difficult during this very polarizing time. And we, we went. We went every day marching together. We didn't stay overnight, but we stayed till as long as we could, and and we had banners across, just rallying for support, rallying people there to say we're we're with you. And I think that put a an image into many locals to say, hey, these ethnic minorities are Hong Kongers too. True. I, I always find that it's it's that this all came out about universal suffrage, yeah, right? The yeah, idea that yeah. uh, empowering a, a a city state. Which is what Hong Kong really is, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. To elect their own, yeah, we call them chief executive, yep. which is such a corporate term, yes. which, which is so Hong Kong. Yeah, but you know, it really, it's it, we're really electing like a mayor. Yeah, exactly. Really, but we're not even allowed to elect our own mayor. Well, you are, but that the white paper was like, we will vet all the candidates. Correct. So Correct. it's kind of like we, we're getting the we get the picture. We're, yeah. we're, we're, you're pre-selecting the flavors. Yeah. I, we, we can't get any, any, anything interesting out of this. Yeah, couldn't put um, it, yeah. And that's how a lot of this started. But you, you're invo- But what you did was, uh, from what I remember, was you galvanized or you helped organize yeah. the ethnic minorities. And yeah. when I say ethnic minorities, I mean Indian, Pakistani, Pakistani Nepali, Nepalese, yeah. right? So yeah. though that group to come out and say, we're Hong Kongers too and we're supporting the yeah. right to free expression yeah. the the idea of uh, but also the idea of uh, what's, what's what am I trying to get at sorry I'm just a bit distracted by no by this because this is actually what this is about this is actually a picture right yeah, that's from, right from you from that yeah from that uh, thing from the movement uh, yeah. we we want I mean we wanted to show we were collective we wanted to stand beside the local Hong Kongers Chinese folks that we this is our city too and democracy means something for us too and we need to be out there letting them know don't just you're not the only stakeholder we're we're also you know going to be affected so please include us that's something as well so please include us don't think that we're not you know so it was really just getting it all out there and, and I think it it, it it proved really well it, it really worked out for many of us yeah well I, and I think that that's and I think that it was a great opportunity just to put this topic back in the public eye. Yeah. And actually, yes. I feel like that movement brought out a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Just people had a lot of grievances and issues exactly. and concerns social, of inequality. Justice, and it's exactly. just stuff just came out. Like, yep. you know, yep. Yep. Well, yep. housing is a problem, you know. Uh, unemployment. Too many, too many yeah, unemployment. Too many Chinese Correct. immigrants coming. Correct. Are we controlling the border? But right. like just everyone that Everything. had some sort of grievance was like, well, let's, let's bring it out. It was just like, clearly there's a lot that needed to be exactly. said. And a big part of it is people just aren't having these conversations. Yep. And yep. I thought it was a great chance to just... You know, have that to yeah. have that, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and just also, I thought it was beautiful that you were able to put the ethnic minorities in the limelight a bit yeah. and say, "Listen, we love our city as much as you love it. Yeah. This is this is about our ability to choose and exist yeah. in our city." Yeah, uh, I think that for us was 
uh, what did you say, a watershed moment? It was it was a big moment for ethnic minorities, I would think. For me, for many of them, there was like the highlight. As I said, there was a an old lady, uh, old lady and old man, a couple, and this Nepalese girl that was with us who just walked in Mong Kok with us. And suddenly, this elderly couple just hugged her, and she. But they all started crying, and I was like, "What's going on here?" And she said, "This is beautiful. This is the moment that I knew I'm, I belong here." And and you know, she's like, "I've never felt like this in in in, in my life. Usually, I be no one wants to sit next to me in a bus, but here." An elderly local Chinese couple just hugged me without thinking twice. And you go, that's that's Hong Kong. This is the Hong Kong that we, we want. Um, you know, they shouldn't see any difference between you and me or color or religion or culture. It's, uh, so we're hoping to see more of that. I think the young generation now will be more open-minded. And there's a lot of change, yeah. You mentioned the idea of being inclusive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We've been talking about integration and yeah. inclusion. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk about the idea of where cultures clash. Yeah. Um, and this kind of may tie into our identity crisis yeah, thing. Yeah. But also because in your work, you see so many cultures. Yeah. And I would imagine, mm. and this is perhaps controversial to say, but I think it's quite common sense, is that yeah. not everything about every culture fits with every other culture. Absolutely. And it takes time Absolutely. to understand and to dissolve certain lines and borders. Yeah. Um, Anything you're comfortable to talk about in that regard, or even just your thoughts on that particular subject? Oh, it's a great topic that you brought up. Very touchy. I mean, like, you know, there's still lots of questions about, for example, Islam, an Indian or Pakistani culture, arranged marriage, forced marriage, honor killings, and things like that. Um, And I think people in Hong Kong are still kind of grasping that. They're like, oh, wait, you're allowed for wives? Oh, wait, um, you know, your parents picked, a gu- you know, your girl for you. Uh, so there's a lot of that that just doesn't kind of sit well yet here in Hong Kong. And that's something we need religious studies to be part of, you know, proper comprehensive religious studies to be in our school system. Uh, to let them know this is culture, religion, traditions, customs are all different and intervene. Uh, so I think there's a long way to go on that bit. Uh, I think we need inclusiveness first and then the other stuff that you're now talking about that's another open box to to tap into but the the flip side of of educating people to ex- to understand yeah. is also to help those that are of those custom cultures integrating into Hong Kong absolutely because they're because certain because and this is and this spot is this on. is the struggle because they will have things that just may not gel absolutely spot on and so how do we bridge that gap Absolutely. and and how do we critically look at our own cultures right yeah. i mean because that's the tough one yeah. is how do i challenge my own view of very myself, good right? very good uh, that's what we're doing right now in in schools we're telling kids and stuff listen we didn't come to hong kong to have local chinese totally you know follow our customs it should be the other way around it's it's we've got to give more to, to be in part of the city and like uh, we had a few uh, issues a few years ago where one school wanted to bring in Sharia law into their schools what, whoa yeah, really like, like a, sh- a school wanted to bring in sh- Sharia, Sharia law really like covered up girls guys separate classrooms and stuff like that and we opposed to that big time we said hell no this is not happening in Hong Kong this shouldn't be and I think slowly that's come off a bit but those are the kind of things which is a bit, you know, I think, you know, someone was saying, oh, um, 
um, you know, Eid should be a, a, a public holiday in Hong Kong. We're, yes, okay, that's great. You know, we're not Singapore yet. This is really not truly a multicultural city yet. So we need to kind of just ease up on what we want and what we ask for. I mean, what really pisses me off, which is I'm not going to, to mind my language there, is we have protests that go on for issues in Palestine. We have the Muslim and Pakistani community coming out in hundreds for issues that's going on in Palestine, which, of course, I totally understand. But when it comes to education issues that are going on, that is something that's affecting their children, you will hardly see 50 people come up for that. And that's something that really pisses me off big time. And I'm trying to change that. I'm going into the mosque to the Muslim community and saying, shame on us because... I understand there's a growing problem in Palestine and Syria, but what's happening to our children here is also a crime. It's also an atrocity. It's also a shame. So I guess as a part of your social work, or even as a part of this particular organization, or other organizations similar, if there are many or any, um, is there anything going on to help? I guess the education of the, pe- the people that are here and it's tough because we don't know how long they're going to be here but they are here so how much do we help them into is this a good way to perhaps maybe provide some it, some some context some life experience in a slightly more I hate, I hate to use the word secular but that's kind of what I'm getting at here I guess yeah. is that in a secular mm-hmm. uh, uh, society is is there are there any programs or is there anything that we can be done or is being done or plans about I mean that? there's a lot of international schools now getting our kids and going into studying in there but we want more local schools to come in and say hey we'd like to really get your refugee children to be part of our curriculum uh, more mainstream we're, we're doing that but it's very slow progress I think we now have a university trying to offer a few spots for our guys that's progress but when you say offer a few spots, you mean offer them to come as students? Come as unofficial students at the moment. So they can sit in ah, a lecture. Right. But they won't be officially graded. But that's, that's, a, that's progress. Sure. Now they're we'll still getting educated. There's yes, not a paper for they're it, still there. Whatever. Maybe the next educated. step is eventually they'll say, okay, actually we'll recognize one of them. So it's a start. I don't know. I guess because it's really quite a big thing, isn't it? Really to, to integrate so many different cultures. It is. So what we're doing now is called a refugee tour. We're doing tours. We're doing exchanges. People coming into Chimsachoy, learning about Chunking Mansions, learning about going into a plate, people's house and doing a, a plate culture, like eating their food, eating with your hands. Uh, I think that's something that Hong Kong people love. Food is something that breaks down a lot of barriers. You know, Hong Kong people love eating. So we're doing that slowly. Um, but I'm hoping it really catches on in society. Like This are easy stuff. This is not about... You know, going in there and let's talk about war. We're talking about, hey, have my food. This is what it's all about. And, and enjoy it with your hands or, um, you know, dip it in this sauce. And So we're getting there slowly, but, um, you know, we really need more support from government. We need government to say, hey, maybe we should start a multi uh, multicultural commission. And you guys are in charge to really make sure, you know, there's a lot of exchanges going on. There's, you know... But that's something the Hong Kong government lacks. And they only have the EOC, which really is a bit of a lame duck. Well, what is the EOC and the why e- is The Equal Opportunities Commission, which is only a body which apparently takes care of issues if you're being discriminated. But really, where is the organizations that are going there and, and, and embracing? Let's, you know, let's 
Let's have dialogue. Let's have food culture. Let's do a tour. Let's, you know, uh, when it's Eid and Diwali, let's have people enjoy it with you. You know, that happens in, in many countries, in Singapore. You know, you come down here during Eid. You, if you walk in here with yourself and they're opening fast, they will grab you and you're going to eat with them. And that's the beauty of Chunky Mansions. People say, oh, it's scary. It's criminal. It's... But, you know, when it comes to eat those 30 days, you will be fat because you will be eating with these guys. They will be sharing with you. Uh, so that's that's something that mo- many, many Hong Kongers don't realize. And and that's something the government should say, hey, you guys want to know what uh, Pakistani person's from? Why is there Eid? You know, don't don't be miscommuni- mis- misinformed by ISIS and Islamophobia. Come and be part of it, you know. We're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. So that's a great opportunity for a local community to understand yeah. th- uh, this this sort of more marginalized community. That's right, and that's a starting point. And that is a great starting point. And then, are you are we also hoping that that will help build trust within Absolutely. the marginalized community, and that then they can venture out more? It works both ways. So how I I just I just maybe I keep thinking about this, but there's got to be a really there's got to be some really great ways, great programs, interactive things where they can go out and experience and Each learn exactly. and feel and to absorb the culture of the city, which will hopefully in turn help them integrate, Absolutely. especially where the areas where just there's difference in ideology and philosophy. Exactly. I mean, that's the hope, right? Is that that's, that's the hope. That's a big part that's of the hope. how people can get together. Sit down in a group, do a PowerPoint. This is what we're about. After that, you get there and get interactive. Bring them to the places and and feel for things and see things and and touch things and just you know it works. I mean, I think we're at a society now where we're we we're craving for information. We're always on Facebook. We're liking this and liking that. But I'm sure people want to go and actually see these things and do these things. Uh, you know, wear an Indian traditional costume and and take some photos and understand. Oh, why is why do people wear that? Why do people have a turban? Why do people grow their beards? Why do Punjabis have a have a knife thing going on? You know, so eventually, if people in Hong Kong can understand, and uh, we won't have so much discrimination, we won't have so much problems. Uh, instead, I think the economy would be booming with more harmonious society in that sense. Instead of people being going into crime, they'd rather be policemen. They'd rather be, you know, uh, part of this Hong Kong community we're talking about. We're too we're too segregated. I'd love to do one of these food tours. We should. I would love to be a part of that. Uh, um, we're really thinking about establishing it into a more more sustainable one, and I will keep you in the loop please, on please that. Please keep me in, because I'm happy to come and cover it. Yeah, I'm happy so to do it We're, we're as really well, thinking so. about plate culture. I've, I've been told this is the term plate culture or something, but and, and we're really into that, um, and we want to get that developed. So, so right now we're doing refugee tour, uh, and ethnic minority walks, we're going into local shops understanding the clothes the, sh- the food so i think we're going to take it to the next step go into their houses be personal up close see their places of worship you know i'm sure a local uh, indian or pakistani wants to know why do people buy sun why do chinese people buy sun why do we put the the oh, buy sun with um, the uh, they the with, with the incense uh, and then exactly. the seasons and stuff I'm sure people want to see that. People want to know, you know, how why do Chinese people sit in a corner in a, in a table and then they they eat, you know, with chopsticks. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities and a lot of things that we can we can learn from each other. Asian culture, Chinese, Indian, it's a lot of similarities. You know, you love your gold in your weddings which you have seen in 
we do the same kind of <laughs> customs, you know. You wear red. We do, you know. It's it's it's. You guys wear red too. We wear red too, and this whole gold uh, handovers, and you know, you bow near your parrot. You know, and you look at those photos, you're like, hey, we do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so what's there's the deal? Lot. Well, I will say this: there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between um, Indian culture and Chinese culture. Right. right. I, I do I do definitely yeah, see yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, like family centered and a lot of customs and ritual Absolutely. around family and yeah. pos the positioning of the family and the patriarch and the matriarch exactly. and, and stuff like that and so the whole ceremonious aspect of it so you know? much of it is like that and yeah it's a beautiful thing about our culture we're, sorry we're not westernized you know you sorry the mic where you kind of at 18 you leave your parents we, we we don't we're very like hey i can't you know my grandpa still has to stay under my so that's something we can start with that's the foundation of our you know, sharing and, and Pakistani, Nepalese, it's very similar traits. Uh, and then you have, you move into the religious aspects and it's slightly different. But we, we start with that. I'm sure it's, it's going to work out. How, how many, how many, uh, I mean, your time, how long have you been a social worker in, for this community? For this community, seven years. But I've been in the social work ethnic minority field another three years before that as so well. So you've got about, you've got a decade of experience. A decade of Right, good experience. I've seen it all. Yeah, how much does religion come into just the discussion, and in terms of whether that brings people together or creates conflict or 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 anything else? To be very honest, I think Hong Kong is a beautiful place for this. This is something that Hong Kong should be proud of. Why? Because when I go back to India and I show my best friends photos to them, they go, "Wait, he's Pakistani." Are you freaking kidding me? You know, that's not even supposed to happen because. You know, we're apparently at war with each other. But here in Hong Kong, that's the beauty of it. You know, when a Pakistani guy brings his food, the first thing he does is he offers it to you first. You eat and you put your hand in there and dig in. Uh, and I think that's something that religion and culture and, and, and it, it doesn't really have that kind of extremism here. Uh, maybe certain f little minority pockets, but really on a, on a full scale, no. You know, if you say Jeff I'd like to join you in a Diwali ball which is coming up in the next weeks like a proper Indian Bollywood Diwali New Year celebration oh, I'm in you I'm know, so in I, you, I used to bring people and gate crush these parties because they want to know what this was like and I used to bring them and they go Jeff the I'm craziest so things and that's I'm so in bring me in yeah and then bring if you want to go to the Sikh temple and have a meal wonderful you just go there and you cover your head with the bandana they give you and, and that's you know, it's it's there and then, and a, and a Muslim Eid, as I said, come over here for thirty days. You, you'll put on. You'll know because <laughs> you just enjoy the food that they make. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, d I definitely want to want to partake because this is a part of my cultural exploration. Yeah. And understanding. Uh, and you come from a very interesting, diverse background too. So you're seeing it from. Uh, I can't even imagine your. Yeah. Hey guys, do you guys do you guys need Jeff? No, yeah. <laughs> Are we are we are we good? Do we need are we? I know it's okay. Do you guys wanna? I, I, I do have, just have one sort of final thing. Okay. Um, do you guys? Is it you guys? Two five minutes? minutes. Is that cool? Sorry guys. No, I'll tell you in two minutes. I okay. Finish. Okay. No, All right. Cool. 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 Is Justin still here? Is Justin? No. Okay. No, no, it's okay. He's there. He's there. Thanks, guys. Sorry. Uh, no, no worries. Yeah. No worries. Oh, uh, we were talking about. Um, uh, yeah, just the education was just very different. Um, and I guess a part of this is. Again, we're talking about how do we, how do we change, how do we update, how do we revise the educational system, yes. 
where there's a lot more equity and a lot more and and what are we valuing within our education system Absolutely. are we valuing critical thinking are exactly. we value you know what are we valuing mm -hmm. um what kind of ideas are important to us yes. th that are going to help individuals grow and actually end up contributing correct um but anyway uh I, the last thing i i do want to ask is um do you have any advice for I'm going to ask you this twice for yep. two different things. Yep. First one is, do you have any advice for people that want to get into social work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's the most rewarding career path I think anyone can take. The pay is not great, but I think, um, you know, if you're not content with sitting in a computer all day and just typing away and just coming back 20, down, 20 years down the line and seeing what have I actually completed, what have I actually achieved, I think social work would be your, your call. And I think it's my calling. Uh, uh, and I've been blessed by it. Yes, you've you've got days where you're burnt out, you got days where you're hit lows, but you know overall it's just been a, an incredible journey for me. And what is your what it, what it, what's your word of advice or thoughts on the the asylum the the refugee? I don't want to use the word crisis, but yep. the, the sort of I guess the future of what is what is the future of asylum seeking and refugees like? Do you have any any glimmers of hope that you want to throw out there, or not, or or it's gloom and doom? Sadly, it's going to be at our doorstep for a very long time, and there's no ignoring it. They're going. It's the world. Sadly, is not getting any better. You know, a few years ago, you would never think Egypt would be in the position it is today. Syria, great place. Plenty of my friends have been there to study, and now you look at it absolute chaos hong kong in itself i mean we're at a very political climate right now that anything can happen okay i mean you just can't take things for granted anymore so we need to be open we need to be you know we need to embrace this stuff because it's 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 important because maybe just one day we might again be seeking refuge in our country god forbid but it could happen and you would want the same treatment that you know that you're that you give out to people you know you want the same thing back for you so i think as hong kongers we need to wake up and i think we need to embrace this so better policy better policy inclusiveness um, and do unto others yes yeah and i think that's something hong kongers are very good at i mean if you look at the crisis earthquake crisis typhoons hong kong people if you see the the immediate you know response in donating money and donating clothes we're amazing with that you know from sichuan to philippines to indonesia but when it comes to the issues right there next to you at home, that's when we kind of hesitate. Why is that? So we need to kind of look into it and, and go. We're so easy to just give money and then solve that problem outside. But what about our problems right next door? So we need to start talking about those things. Yeah. Jeffrey, thanks a lot, man. Incredible this time. This has been awesome. You I'm, too. There's still so many, many more things that I want to talk about, but... Um, if you're up for it, let's have this do this again in a few definitely, few months, definitely. and uh, we'll revisit this. Yeah, but for sure, man, that Diwali, Diwali thing, stuff. Diwali yeah, thing, bring yeah. me in. All on right, that. when Eid's happening, just just drop me a line. Let me yeah, know what's yeah. up, and, and uh, we'll have to talk about football. Sounds By the good. way, guys, when we say football, we we do mean soccer. Yeah, for those yeah, of you that please. aren't sure what's up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Thanks again. Thanks.